Welcome to Subversion with 1517. Subversion is a podcast dedicated to exploring big ideas, pushing against accepted opinion, and, just maybe, creating some more creative subversion in society. This week's conversation is with the co-founder and CEO of Loom, Joe Thomas. Loom is a screen capture tool, one that is particularly close to my own heart. It is a fantastic tool if you do anything that involves meetings, calls, teaching, instruction, anything like that. You can learn more about Loom at useloom.com. We talk about what it's like to build a consumer-facing product, how to pivot, how to know when to pivot, and how to do customer discovery interviews. Uh, If you want to learn more about customer discovery interviews and learning more what people actually pay for, I recommend checking out our previous conversation with Shreya Navadia, episode 016, episode 16. Before we get started, I do just want to say that Subversion is a project of 1517 Fund, 1517fund.com. 1517Fund supports teams like Loom, led by young founders with seed, pre-seed, and grant stage funding. We also have a community of 1,000-plus peers, mentors, and collaborators. If you're a young person looking to build your future, a hacker, a maker, a scientist, check us out at 1517Fund.com forward slash take dash action. Schedule a call with us. We'd be happy to talk to you because a real education is a liberation. Now... For this week's show, a conversation with Joe Thomas from Loom. But really, like you are a consumer-facing company mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. Although a lot of your clients are at companies. Um, <clears throat> Would you consider yourself consumer facing? Yeah, we're. I I say that we're B to B to or B to C to B. It's basically like bottoms up growth, but will eventually be like top down sale. Yeah. So our revenue will come from the business side, like SMBs and enterprise, but we'll always we'll never turn off the ability for consumers to record. Like we have a free product today that will always be free. So with that regard, like you could say we're a consumer company. So what would be a parallel kind of uh, analogy of another product that someone might know that works like that? It's a great question. Um, maybe like LinkedIn. Maybe. Like um, LinkedIn makes most of their money off of probably company credit cards, company accounts. Right. They definitely do. Um, the one that... I don't know. We always like to replicate our business model and have talked to a ton of people over at Dropbox. Mm. Um, but I don't know, like they've gone so business now that like people generally associate that and as not necessarily a consumer brand, but. And you guys don't have a giant uh, steel panda in your lobby, right? Like <laughs> right. So your lobby was very modest. Yeah. So. <laughs> For now. <laughs> Please don't have a giant steel panda. No, nothing that catchy i guess <laughs> so i guess that like my the, the most comfortable comparison that i could make and like speak to would be dropbox okay um just because that's what we've been studying all right. so, so people might use it for their own personal reasons but you're going to make your money on people using it at the corporate level yeah we're gonna we're gonna get teams within larger organizations to be using it independently and then long term, we'll optimize for revenue by consolidating all of those, giving like the CIO the ability to, the CIO the ability to, 
I guess, consolidate and have some sort of control over the, the information exchange that's happening on Loom. So how long have you guys been running right now? We incorporated in November 2015. Okay. So uh, coming up on three years. Yes. The <laughs> current product that we launched went out in June of 2016. Okay. So it's been a little over two years that we've had this product and in market. Were you, were you building a previous product before that? We went through basically two, I guess, major product iterations prior to our current product. Can you tell me about those products? Of course. Um, the first one was a two-sided marketplace. Shahid, my co-founder. <laughs> Those <yeah>. are hard. <laughs> yes. We learned that very quickly. Shahid, my co-founder, was at NFX Guild, which is James Courier. And their whole thing is network effects. So we said, let's leverage that knowledge and create a two-sided marketplace. Uh, we wanted to do expert product feedback for products that were in development at all different stages of the product lifecycle. Um, what we learned is that the larger businesses who would pay the premium to get that sort of feedback already have those experts in-house. Right. And what they really wanted was a new age company, similar to user testing, but the ability to collect video feedback from their users in real time. Mm. Um, so video has always been at the core and it was product experts giving video feedback to startups. The startups came back and said that they wanted video feedback from their actual customers. So that's when we built the Chrome extension was we had some sort of MPS survey that would go out. Depending on how you answered, we would say, like Soylent was one of our, one of our customers at that time, they would give 50% discount if the individual was willing to give video feedback. Um, and so if they opted in, they would give a two to five minute feedback video based off of a five question prompt that show up right there in the uh, on the website. And then the user would get the coupon at the end of the experience. But the we then heard that the individuals who were queuing up these tests, we had this slight differentiator, which was the front-facing camera bubble. Mm -hmm. They loved that component of it. It felt very new age. It felt very friendly. And uh, individuals wanted to use the video recording independent of user feedback. Right. So yeah, there's something cold and weird feeling about someone sending you a video that's just a voiceover. It, yes. if, if their face is there, there's something about it from like the viewer perspective that it feels a lot more comfortable. And we actually stole that concept from Snapchat, which this product didn't take off at the time, but you could do live synchronous calls in Snapchat. Hmm. And as you were talking to the person, it would show you like a little front facing camera. I do remember that. Circle, yeah. like yeah. a small one, very unobtrusive. But we said, what if we could do that on, on the desktop? What if we could do that on a laptop? And we did. And it did feel very different. So we stole that from, from Snap. So how did you guys roll out the existing version of Loom? Um, you know, the what you just described. It, we were... Especially after about a year of doing something else. We were legitimately two weeks away from Cash Zero. <laughs> this was kind of a Hail Mary project. Um, we decoupled it from the survey platform. And we said, let's just put it up on Product Hunt and see if we get some traction. So... On June, I think, 16th, 2016, I was at my, I couldn't skip this wedding, even though my company was on the verge of collapsing. <laughs> I was one of the best men there. So I was in Chicago and Vinay and Shahid were in San Mateo. We put it up on Product Hunt. Uh, we got 3,000 signups within the first 36 hours. Wow. And we realized that this was like something that had some real legs to it. At that time, this is where 1517 comes in and really saves our behinds and like why we're here today is that we had been talking to Danielle and Michael for about six months, having like 
monthly meetings with them showing our cadence and how quickly we were moving. Um, and so when we finally launched a product that got a little bit of traction, they said that they were coming in and were going to be willing to give us 50000 um, But then once we actually launched a product that had traction, they were like, we want to be your lead investor for the pre-seed. And the money got in the bank account legitimately 24 hours before it was going to go in the red. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's one way that you could define an angel investment, huh? No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I, I'd actually like to talk a little bit about um, launching on Product Hunt because that's something that I think is a really underappreciated tool for people, especially if it is something uh, that's in the space of improving people's professional lives. Like I've I've launched mm. guides on Product Hunt, like eBooks, right? Yeah. And I, I drove something like 1,100 signups for like just a lead magnet that's otherwise just sitting on my website, yeah. right? Right. So. What made you guys decide that you were going to do it on Product Hunt and uh, how did you approach that? So we have a relatively, I guess, new age team in the sense that the average age of our co-founders, the same way it is for all 15, 17 companies, is relatively young. We pay attention to Product Hunt because we like to know what new products are coming out. And so to us, it wasn't even really a debate of how do we do go to market. Yep. It was just we can throw up a link on Product Hunt. Um, and so that's what we did. And Vinay, my technical co-founder, has written a blog post about how do you successfully launch products on Product Hunt, which I'm sure there's a million resources out there. But uh, we really, we had done it twice prior to this one for the other two products that we had built and launched. So by that time, we were like well-versed on like what we needed to do, how we needed to do it. Um, and so the third time was the charm, I guess. Yeah, I'll include uh, Vinay's article in the Medium post for this conversation. Uh, but if you had to summarize that approach, what would you recommend that somebody who's trying to launch on Product Hunt do? Yeah, I would say one of the things is that I think people end up building up the Product Hunt launch to be a bigger deal than it actually is. Don't get me wrong. You want to put something out there that will actually deliver value to individuals who will go to your site. But at the same time, this it really is a beta testing platform. You want to get it out there as soon as possible. You want to get feedback from individuals as soon as possible. I know that Product Hunt now has their kind of like upcoming product section. Put it up there. Like get people are coming to this site in order to get early access to things. And so I would say the first thing is have the right mentality, which is that this isn't going to take you to the moon. It's just going to get your initial batch of, of users. And the sooner you get that, the better. Um, the other thing is like, know that when you put it up on midnight or put it up at midnight, be there to spam all of your friends. <laughs> Literally, the, the most critical thing is that in the first 60 minutes that your link is live is that you get into the top three. If you end up falling in the eight to 10 range or even like the six to like below you range on the homepage, on the homepage, yeah. right. You're, you're not going to be seen by people. So you need to want stay up until midnight, maybe get a couple friends who like, like you as well. Um, and have everybody spam it out. So that way you're in the top three and then it'll kind of take care of itself from there. Those are like the two most important things. Yeah, uh, to the first point, I, I think that's a, an important point to stress in general is people get really, really uh, caught up in their product being like essentially perfect. Yes. And I think one of the nice things about a platform like Product Hunt is the users don't care if it's perfect. In no. fact, they, they don't expect it to be, right? Like 
if it's polished and looks like it's come out of Facebook, it's it, I've seen I've seen big billion dollar companies launch products on there that get less traction than what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one example of a company that's been doing this really well lately, I think, of leveraging Product Hunt to the fullest capacity of the community that's available is Drift. They're yeah. actually putting actually, up Actually, I know when, when the guy that runs business development in Drift, yeah. Product Hunt, they, they're putting up a post on Product Hunt once a month. And they're doing that intentionally in order to show and build momentum within the the community there and it's free traffic it's like a free there's no limitation to how many times you can launch on product hunt so just do it like get it out there grab those users get their feedback and keep iterating and it's so low cost to do it it's like why wouldn't you exactly right? all, you, all you're doing is like spending like one evening of sleep right but you know you're doing that anyways <laughs> no i mean like i I've, I've launched two things personally on product hunt like i said the first one did very well the second one was like oh okay not but it still drove like 200 signups right which i otherwise wouldn't have Exactly. And it didn't take that much time to do. Exactly. So you are moving now as we're talking. And when this goes live, uh, you may have already released it um, to a paid version of Loom. Uh, what has it been like, first of all, running a company that has a bunch of users, but they're not paying anything <laughs> <laughs> um, and making that decision to roll out a paid product? Because I'm sure there were some people that when they saw that you were releasing a premium product from the user side, they were like, oh, crap, now I'm going to have to start paying money for this product. But mm -hmm. that's not, not how you're approaching it. No, I, I would say that the one word definition of what it's been like to not be charging for a product is convenient. Hmm. Um, our, we have 12 people working on Loom at this point. And the second that you put revenue or monetization into the market it takes 50% of your company's brain share. Even if you don't have six of the 12 people working specifically on monetization, it's about what they're thinking about. What KPI dashboard are they looking at? How are they um, thinking about optimizing revenue versus optimizing value that you deliver to the end user? So I, we talked through the first kind of like two iterations of our company. When we finally launched our product, we had to do a crash course and learn what it was that we actually built and put out to the market. And we were fortunate enough to have investors like 1517 and then subsequently raise a seed round to have the capital needed in order to invest in research and learning over money and revenue. And, and when so you raised that seed round, did you know that in quarter three, 2018, you would roll out the paid product? Absolutely not. We had no idea when the right time would be. And we actually revisited the conversation once every quarter. So we do like an internal quarterly review. I think we're actually, for a relatively early company, we're good at doing things a little bit more formal in nature. And so that quarterly review, the one question we asked was, is it the right time to monetize within the next three months? And what told you that the answer to that is yes? It was the fact that there was a substantial number of features that we knew would deliver a, an immense amount of value to our user base that we were not willing to build and roll out for free because of their monetization opportunity. And we were actually hurting our users' ability to grow on the tool and to, like get value from the platform uh, without us releasing those features. 
So we finally got to a substantial list of those features that we were holding back. We got to a little bit of saturation in terms of building out free features that delivered real value to the users. And so when we hit that saturation point, when we realized that we were maybe releasing features that um, were just not premium features, it was time to build out those premium features and get them into the user's hands. Yeah, I mean, just for full disclosure, we're doing this conversation after you and I talked for about half an hour. I'm a, I'm a Loom user. I love the product. I use it for a number of purposes, but uh, everything that you described to me that you were thinking about adding in to the new paid product were things that I absolutely could get value from. Right. Um, and knowing that, knowing that these features you could roll out are premium features, but you need to roll out a premium product around it in order to do that. Did that come from talking with users? Oh, yeah. Um, so how do you guys do that? It's This is, <clears throat> I think, one of the most underappreciated and least formulaic uh, approaches to something that's absolutely critical to a business is how do you navigate customer conversations and how do you aggregate and analyze the insights that you get from customers. Now, I would, I would say that we are far from experts in this realm, but we were fortunate. Brian Balfour, has he's a former VP of growth of HubSpot. He now has a growth academy called Reforge um, that he did with Andrew Chen, who's now a partner over at uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Um, but they have a growth academy called Reforge, and they have an entire section dedicated to what they just label as monetization. And it takes a company from literally ground zero, which is we're either a free product or a pre-launch product, and takes you through exactly what stages you need to uh, run from a research perspective in order to get to the answers that this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with product hunt launch, mm -hmm. which is you're never going to get the monetization like the monetization model exactly right the first time around but this model takes you to about 90 percent good enough so that way you can release it with confidence so the first thing is that you do a feature value survey uh, so you come up with that list of features that i was talking about before for loom it was 16 different features and then you release four at a time in like each subsequent question and they have to say which feature is most valuable and which feature is least valuable. The order ranking is really important. Exactly. And you go through four sets of those. And at the end of it, once you do an analysis, you have features that are above a zero ranking and features that are below zero. The ones that are above are the ones you should monetize, monetize on. The ones that are below, you should still build and like deliver that value to users, but do not try and charge premium for them. Um, so from there, the price point analysis. This is all stuff you learned at Reforge? Yes. This is so uh, I can uh, provide the link to you to Great. share with the yeah. users as well, um, or the, view the listeners. Um, the second thing is the Van Westendorp price point analysis. You ask four questions. One is like, at what price point is Loom so expensive that you wouldn't consider paying? At what price point is Loom so cheap that you would question its quality? Mm -hmm. At what price point is Loom... Uh, a bargain and at what price point is loom still on the expensive side but you would consider paying and at that point you can map out four lines across the uh answers that you get and you get a range of acceptable prices and you just basically choose one within that range great absolutely um so what's one thing that you wish you had known when you started loom way How back in 2015 
I think that a lot of individuals end up diving in and they want to start a startup just because they want to have their own thing and own it. What I didn't realize is Vinay and Shahid were like two of my best friends, like before we started the business. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have that level of relationship Mm -hmm. with people that you start a business with. Oh, the analogy is you're getting married. Exactly. Right. Right. And but you can't really fully appreciate that until you're three years down the line and you spend 50, 60 hours a week. Every Sunday evening we do founder dinner, um, which has been incredibly valuable for us to like reorient ourselves around where is the business at and what do we need to do in this coming week. Um, And so I I would just reemphasize like I would tell myself, like, you're doing the right thing by starting a business with two individuals that you would consider friends. Because at the time, I was like, should I be looking elsewhere for mm-hmm. co-founders? Um, but made the right decision with people that I'm really uh, comfortable and happy spending 50 hours a week with. Joe, thanks so much. Thank you, Zach. Exactly.